So for those who are new here, my name is Tom Sylvia, the associate pastor. And here at East Shore, we hold firm to expositional preaching. What does that mean? That means we go through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, fit, learning, seeking what is the main point of the passage and how that passage points us to Jesus Christ. Now, we're not necessarily in a book of the Bible right now. We're in a chapter of the Bible. And it's going to be Psalm 119. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 119, verses 17 through 32. If you do not have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you, and you can turn to page 607. That's page 607. And so since we're not in a book, we're in a chapter. And this chapter is longer than most books of the Bible. And John gave a really good uh, explanation of what this psalm is, so I will touch on it briefly. And if you miss any more, you got to keep coming back to these first two sermons to hear a summary of this psalm. But this psalm is an acrostic poem. It consists of 22 sections. Each section has eight lines. And each section begins with a letter of the alphabet. So in English, we have our letters A, B, C, D, and each line, so a section would be letter A, and each line would start with the letter A. The next section would be the letter B, and each word, each line, would start with the letter B. And they do this for 22 stanzas. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. Today, as you see on the screen, we're going to be doing the Gimel and Dalit section. So, you know, have any language nerds out here, this is the G and D sound. Uh, now you guys know your Hebrew. So G and D, okay? So, what we're going to do is we're going to keep with tradition, and we're going to stand as we read the Scriptures. So Psalm 119, 17 through 32, stand with me. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me. And graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us your word. And Lord, as we hear and learn from this psalm, from these verses, 
all these words, Lord, may they be true for all of us. Help us to desire your word more than food itself. Help us to treasure your word more than money. Lord, may we just know life is in your words. May we just know you through your words. Lord, give us the eyes to be able to behold the beauties and wonders of your words. Give us the mind to be able to understand and comprehend your words. And Lord, just give us the heart to desire your word. And change us, Lord, as we read it. That is our prayer. And teach us this morning what that means. Amen. Amen. So it's very likely you all have all heard and are aware of some of the attributes of God. For example, omnipresence, God is everywhere. Omnipotence, God is all-powerful. Omniscience, God is all-knowing. Omnibenevolence, God is all-good. And there are many others. There are many others. Well, in the same way we have these attributes of God, we also have the attributes of Scripture. These have been with us for a long time. And there are four attributes of Scripture. And you can actually use an acrostic scan to memorize them. Okay, I'm going to tell you each one of them and give you a definition. These definitions are from Kevin DeYoung. He has a book called Taking God at His Word. Taking God at His Word. It is a very easy and very beneficial read where he goes through these attributes. So here they are. They're on your screen. The sufficiency of Scripture. This is that the Scriptures contain everything we need for the knowledge of salvation and godly living. The clarity of Scripture. That is, the saving message of Jesus Christ is plainly taught in the Scriptures and can be understood by all who have ears to hear it. The authority of Scripture. The last word always goes to the Word of God. And then there's the necessity of Scripture. General revelation is not enough. Saving faith can only be found in the Scriptures. So, why do I mention these attributes of Scriptures? Well, when you read Psalm 119, you cannot help but come face to face with these attributes. And today, we're going to focus on just one of them. We're going to focus on the sufficiency of the Scriptures. And in these two stanzas, we're going to see that the Scriptures are more than enough for worship and godly living. So, we're going to glean two points. The first point we're going to discuss today is that the Scriptures sufficiently reveal God's wonders to His worshipers. Then our second point is that the Scriptures sufficiently reveal God's comfort to His children. So let's begin with the first one. The Scriptures sufficiently reveal God's wonders to His worshipers. I'm going to read a couple of verses again. 17, 18, and verse 27. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold the wonders, the wondrous things out of your law. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Now, for someone in our day and age, verse 18 can be quite confusing. Wondrous things of your law? Many of us have read Leviticus, or should I say, we start Leviticus, and we may or may not 
finish. We give up within a few chapters. I know many of us have said we're going to start off reading the Bible with great zeal. We finish Genesis. Exodus puts a little, I mean, it takes a number out of you, but you generally we finish. The tabernacle gets rough, but then, you know what? Leviticus comes in and quenches that initial zeal, and you begin to switch up your original method. No longer are you reading straight through the Bible. Maybe it's a speed read through the Bible. And you know what? If Leviticus doesn't get you, I think God put numbers there to finish you off right there. They're going to take you down. Many of us know Lamentations is a book in the Old Testament. But do we know what it's about? How many quotes do we hear from Lamentations? What is Obadiah about? How is Zephaniah relevant to me? We all know the benefits of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the epistles of Paul. But God's law, the wondrous things of your law, help me, give me the eyes to see, to meditate on these wonders. This is a very different perspective. When was the last time you described the law in this way? When was the last time you heard the law described in this way? I mean, this verse alone gives us the warrant to sit and to stir within each one of us a resolve to enjoy the law. Every one of those first five books, every one of the books of the Old Testament, through this verse alone, we should commit to knowing them, to loving these words. Why? Why should we do this? Because the words of the law are from the very mouth of God. Just pause and think about that. These words are from the mouth of God Himself. What are words meant to convey except the mind of the one who speaks them? The way one uses words reveals the character behind the person. And when we read the words of the law or any part of the Scriptures, we are getting just that, a glimpse of the glory of the God Most High. These words can only be wonderful. They cannot be boring, useless. They cannot be anything less than wonderful. We need to make it our life ambition to know these words. The words in red are not the only ones that are important to us, but all of them are. And our author doesn't just stop there. The Scriptures are wonderful in and of themselves, but they are more wonderful than his eyes initially see and request God to give him even more insight, more awe, more enjoyment of the glory of his word. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see the wonders of your word. That is a request to say, Lord, I want more of you. I want to enjoy more of you. One of the sections of Scripture that absolutely amazes me is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12. through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, 
in the things that you that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Understand what Peter is saying here. He is saying that the authors of the Old Testament were searching and searching, studying and studying, doing their best to exhaust their own works about the coming of Christ. They wrote them, and yet they were still searching and searching and searching expounding upon the glories and wonders and acts of God. This includes the law. Leviticus points us to Christ. Numbers points us to Christ. Zephaniah points us to Christ. Was their study, the study of their own works, boring? Absolutely not. It was exhilarating to them. Each nugget of truth was accompanied by joy. Every word that they wrote, every theme they developed, every story they told pointed to one man, one God, one Savior. That is this Messiah who is coming for the sins of many to redeem His children. His wonderful acts spoken in His wonderful law. See, the Scriptures do not contain any old story, but the greatest of stories, and that is the Gospel. And you see, not only were these Old Testament authors that penned these words themselves through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, not only were they searching their words over and over again, but so were the angels in heaven searching and searching and searching the Scriptures. We just read, the angels were captivated by the Scriptures. They were longing, desiring to see how God's wondrous acts were going to come to be fulfilled. Have they captivated you because they have captivated the heavenly host? You see, if your main aim when searching the Scripture is to answer, how is this relevant to me? And I will say you are missing out on one of the wonders and greatest chief aims of Scripture. It is not about us, but it is about a God who came to save us. Now that is very much a good, very good question to ask, but there is a greater question, and that is, what does this text, what does this word tell me about my wonderful counselor, my mighty God, my everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace? How does it show me this glorious gospel? And it is by asking that very question, what does this tell me about my God, that our author in verse 17, is able to make such a bold claim about God. How does he begin? Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant. Now, first off, i got to just say, it's in fact amazing that we sinners can be called servants. And not only are we called servants, but we are called friends. But to have this statement, deal bountifully with your servant. And you know what? This is not a plea of mercy towards God to act outside of how He already acts. See, our author knows our God is a bountiful God. He's not saying just be bountiful because you never are, but He is saying be more bountiful and more bountiful because I know you are. We do not serve a God that begrudgingly acts nor seeks to meet the bare minimum standards, but a God who always deals with His creation bountifully. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. 
He will exalt over you with loud singing. If you are a believer in this room, that is what our Father has committed to do. Loud singing, rejoicing over each one of us. Bountiful. We do not get a static love from our God, but an overflowing love. We do not get a cheap grace, but a costly grace. We do not get a cold mercy, but a tender mercy. We do not get a renewed righteousness. Instead, we get Christ's righteousness. He doesn't leave us as we are, but we are made new, a new creation. (laughs) We serve a God of bounty. Just read the works of his law and you will see that. Read his words and you cannot help but see that. 2 Kings chapter 6, to go into battle. God does not go into battle with one, but the whole heavenly host. God does not take our sin lightly, but he, he eradicates our sin once and for all. Did he send one or two angels? No. He sent his eternal, omnipotent, omnibenevolent son to die for our sins, to get rid of them once and for all. The scriptures reveal to us the incomprehensible love and merciful acts of God towards his creation. His word and his law, when read through those lenses, will help you to see the wonders of God's word. And what do we do with these wondrous things in God's word? Well, we worship. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. You don't know what to pray. Pray that statement right there. God, make me, make me understand your word and I will meditate on your wondrous works. How does our author know about God's works? Where does he learn of them? How do we? From the scriptures. What do we do? We meditate on these works. What is meditation? It is worship. Now, we need to define what, med- what it means to meditate because it's not equivalent to the Eastern understanding where we sit and say, oh, and try and separate our mind from our body and bring unity in something that they do there. That is not what biblical meditation is. And biblical meditation is the idea of thinking and thinking deeply about God's Word. It is the act of exercising our mental capabilities for God's glory. You look up the definition of the Hebrew word for meditation, and it is this, to speak with enthusiasm. It has the idea that you're speaking with enthusiasm God's Word over and over and over and over again in your mind. So you will say, make me understand the way of your precepts. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Make me understand the way of your precepts. And you are thinking about that line over and over and over again. That is biblical meditation. And speak enthusiastically about the words of God to yourself and enjoy what he has done. And you will find yourself worshiping shortly thereafter. The more you know of God, the more you can worship him. He gave us the scriptures so that we can do just that, worship God. If your studies of the scripture does not bring you to marvel at the grandeur of who God is, then your approach to the studies of scripture is wrong. Modify your approach. If the reading of scriptures is of low importance to your daily life, 
that it can be considered a task done with great haste in order to check a box, then you need to reconsider your priorities. We are to meditate, to long for His Word. Depend on them. John Murray, if we truly appreciate the mystery of God's grace and wisdom, we shall study the Bible as one who has found great spoil, great treasure. The very nature and content of the Bible as God's Word will compel the most earnest, earnest application of it. Do you realize the gold that is in your hand? Can you faithfully quote and repeat with an honest heart after the words of King David in Psalm 19, 7 and 10, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Does the Scriptures revive your soul? More are they to be desired than gold. Do you desire God's Word more than money itself? Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That is, God's Word is more than food. It's worth more than money. Is that the level of the Scriptures? Is that where it holds in the priorities of your life? What value do you ascribe to God's Word? And I implore you to experience the wealth of God's grace and the sweetness of our Father's love and enjoy the wonders of His Word. That is what Psalm 119 is calling us to. And the Scriptures are sufficient to accomplish this. Let me move on to the second point. And that is the Scriptures sufficiently reveal God's comfort to His children. Let me read some verses, 22 through 32. And I'll be reading a few here in between. Take away from scorn, take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Do you hear the lament? My soul clings to dust. My soul melts away for sorrow. Let me not be put to shame. Enlarge my heart. Most of us in this room have had children or have experienced a crying child. What did you do? Did you hear the cry, go look at, through the crack of the door, then walk away? Absolutely not. You go in. Whether you're prepared or not, you go. Because the love of a parent for a child is always at the ready to provide comfort. What happens after the fact when your child spends any length of time crying all alone with no one to comfort them and you learn about it? What do you do when you find out? Your heart drops and you tell that child that you are absolutely always available no matter what you are doing. They are never alone and there is always an open shoulder for them to cry on and to have comfort. You equip them for the future. And they have parents at the ready, knowing that. And perhaps 
Some of you in this room didn't have parents that could provide such comforts. And you wonder what such an experience would even feel like. There's something better. If a parent is at a moment's notice ready to comfort their child, how much more is our Heavenly Father to do that very thing? He even taught us what comfort even is. He calls you beloved son and beloved daughter. Meditate on those words, on that wondrous act right there. You are beloved children of the King. <laughs> you have more than what any earthly parent could ever offer you. Imagine the love of the earthly father and mother, but be prepared to marvel at your heavenly Father's love for you. Psalm 103.13 As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. Isaiah 66.13 As one whom his mother comforts, so I, God, will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. He goes beyond that of a father or mother could offer. He offers His comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Where does our author run to for comfort? Well... It's the very Scriptures. I cling to the dust. Revive me according to Your Word. My soul melts away. Give me strength according to Your Word. One place he goes to. God's Word. In fact, every plea in this text is followed by and rooted in the need for God. I cling to Your testimonies. Let me not be put to shame. Your Word tells me You are mighty to save. Lord, You have saved me. Your Word tells me Your name, that You are a God who sees. Lord, it brings me comfort. You see me. Your words tell me that You will never leave me, nor will You forsake me. Lord, I know You are here. That brings me comfort. Your Word tells me that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit both are interceding on our behalf. Lord, hear their plea. Thank You. Your word tells me that these aches, these pains, toils, despair are momentary affliction. Lord, come to my aid. I know you see me. Our comfort is in the Scriptures. Are you suffering now? Read Psalm 44. Receive the comfort. I love this psalm. It's, from, it's about the sons of Korah. If we know anything or if you remember this, who Korah is, this psalm is very unique. Korah is the man that rebelled against Moses and God, led a whole people astray, and in the end, they were all smitten by God. They were rebellion, forever known as the rebellion of Korah. And these sons of Korah have written two psalms, one of them being 44. Oh, they're under extreme persecution in this psalm. They are suffering heavily in this psalm, but yet they are able to sing the about God's love. And if you read the psalm to the end, you will see that there is no answer provided as to why they are suffering, as to why God is allowing this to happen, but you see them in every verse 
clinging to the promises of God's Word. Are you depressed? Read Psalm 42. Run to Job. Run to Jeremiah. You're not alone. Listen, Psalm 42.3, My tears, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Jeremiah 15.10, Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. Are you struggling with the idea that God could love you? Read Ephesians chapter 2. Are you wondering about the security of your salvation and if God will follow through on His promises? Read Romans chapter 8. Have you dealt with a miscarriage? Have you had a divorce? Committed adultery? Is there any sin that has a tight grip on your soul? Do you agonize over your past? Help me, help me, help me. Is your prayer... Look at the Scriptures. Look who He has redeemed. King David, an adulterer. He committed a, he committed a sin where he took a census. Resulted in 70,000 lives. Redeemed. The Apostle Paul, a persecutor, killer of Christians. Redeemed. Rahab, a prostitute. Redeemed. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the most prideful man in all the earth, he took captive Israel, destroyed the land of Judah, utterly ransacked them, redeemed the thief on the cross next to Christ, the very last moments of his life, redeemed. Receive the comforts from the Scriptures. We only know about God's mercy and God's great love towards us and His fellow saints because He has revealed it to us in His Word. Read the Word. Read Ephesians chapter 6. God has given you a weapon, a sword, ready to fight. Ephesians 6.17 Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. That should bring you great comfort. You have the very weapon on high to take down the evil one. Use it. The sword is not meant to be displayed in the comforts of your home, but wielded at all times, ready to slay a demon or one attacking a friend. Our, our Lord and Savior needed it. We too need it desperately. And we must know it because we have to be ready at all times. It is foolish to go into a battle with a weapon in which you have no training. Read the Scriptures. Study the Word. J.C. Ryle. Ignorance of Scripture is the root of all error and makes a man helpless in the hands of the devil. There is a wealth of grace within these pages and an infinite supply of comfort. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Once again, another prayer you can pray. Hide not your commandments from me, Lord. Why? Why? Why do we need His commandments? Because in them there is life, there is comfort, and there is joy. These scriptures sufficiently reveal God's comfort to His children. 
And if you think there is not life, comfort, and joy, then you are blind. Pray that the God will give you eyes to see. And now, there are over 100 different English translations of the Bible. I tried to Google it. I couldn't figure out the number. Wikipedia said one thing. Another site says another. But I know there's at least 100 or more English translation available to each one of us. And if you want to go a step further, there's over 100 schools you can attend or just take one course and learn Greek and Hebrew and read the scriptures in the original language. We have so much of the Bible available to us. And I fear that it has become so forgotten and common that we have forgotten or highly underestimate how privileged we are to have God's word. So in your notes, you will see a link or a QR code to a video, and it's about the Kimyal people. And they're receiving the New Testament, the Bible, in their language for the first time ever. It's 10 minutes long. I encourage you to go watch it and see this people that have been years and years, hundreds of years without God's Word, finally receiving it. Look at their joy and maybe take it as a fresh reminder of what you have and experience the joy of His Word. The Scriptures are more than sufficient for our daily lives. Here's the challenge this morning. Are you reading it? Are you enjoying it? Are you worshiping? Let's pray. Father, this, these very, this very psalm is our prayer, Lord. Give us the eyes to see the wonders of your scriptures. Lord, hide not your commandments from us. Lord, strengthen us according to your word. Lord, as we read your word, may it be food for our souls. May it be the needed food for our daily life. Keep it not from us. Lord, if our heart or if our mind begins to wander from thinking that we don't, to thinking we don't need your scripture, Lord, we pray that you destroy that idea and that we quickly come running to your word to worship you, to praise you more. Help us to delight in your scriptures, Lord. Amen.